0: This is episode 59 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks for joining me. The imposter syndrome is a major roadblock for many of us when it comes to doing our best work, especially if doing it requires us to start something new. Who are you to do it rings so loudly inside us that we often can't hear the other more helpful stories or see the other data points that show us that we're on the right path. Dan Pickett joins me for episode 59 to jam about how to debug the imposter syndrome. Ready? Let's do this.
1: Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative Giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host,
0: Charlie Gilkey. Alrighty, Creative Giants. I'm excited to introduce you to Dan Pickett, Dan is an entrepreneur, educator, and software developer. His personal mission is to help people become the best versions of themselves. In that spirit, he co-founded Launch Academy in 2012 to help aspiring programmers learn what they need to know to land their first job as professional web developers. To date, Launch Academy has helped to launch over 200 careers in software. Prior to starting Launch Academy, Dan ran a successful development consultancy, where he trained Apprentice web developers while building early-stage products for the web. He has built and led software teams for startups in the Boston area for the last 15 years, and he's also been launching businesses since he was in high school. The imposter syndrome is working on him right now as he's going through some major changes in his life and business. Let's see how he's working on it rather than just letting it work on him and helping others do the same. Dan, thanks so much for the great work you're doing with Launch Academy and really helping uh, programmers especially take action on what matters to them and, and um, go beyond. And just thanks so much for the great work you're doing.
1: Ah, uh, Thanks, man. It's it's great to uh, be here and, and talking with you today. So I've been a long-time long fan of the podcast.
0: Appreciate that. Yeah. So let's, as always, let's go back to the beginning, right? Because that's like You're in the Launch Academy now and you had Launchware before that. Um, How did you get into programming and, and as a way of showing up in the world?
1: yeah it's funny uh so I, I actually started in high school uh and really i started in 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 sort of the nerd true nerd fashion of uh falling in love with bulletin board systems and the internet and uh pirating software i'm I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations is uh over <laughs> and done with on yeah. that yeah um, but you know, it really just kind of fell in love with gaming, uh, and, uh, connecting with people online. Uh, this was before even America online was sending us CDs in the mail, Yep. Um, connecting through dial up and downloading doom for like three days on a, on a 3,600 motor or something like that.
0: I remember that. I remember that, having to type in the C prompt to get it to that download. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, IRCs and all that funny stuff. Right. Um. <laughs> So you got involved then, and did you did you go to computer science or college like how'd that work?
1: Yeah, so I started actually consulting and picking up uh, odd jobs mainly around setting up networks for small businesses and uh, even building really basic websites and it was kind of just a learn as you go kind of thing um, and I quickly realized doing a lot of information technology work that people only call you when shit's broken. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really wanted to focus on building and creating. And and so software became a much more interesting uh, way to sort of uh, play with technology. So. You know, I was very fortunate to have my uncle, uh, who was a software developer. Uh, he was the the first telecommuter I knew. Yeah! <laughs> uh, wow. He, he totally uh, sort of framed it really nicely for me in terms of how software development and software engineering can be a very rewarding career and really allows you to sort of have a a creative eye, but also, you know, science and and logical perspective. So he kind of was my mentor uh, and, and we really didn't meet all that often and talk all that often, but he was just so excellent at giving me those little nudges, those little pushes in the right direction. Um, And one of those nudges was to pursue a computer science education uh, at either MIT or another school called Worcester Polytech. Uh, And I ended up going to Worcester Polytech because it was a smaller community um, and there was a lot more leadership opportunity there. I kind of compare the two between Boston and New York, you know, Boston's got that like really small city vibe. Um, WPI had that. Whereas, uh, MIT felt more like New York. It was like this big, huge city and I, I just felt so small, you know? Uh, so WPI really spoke to me in that way. So that's where I fell in love with computer science and also leadership.
0: That's interesting because a lot of times when we think of programmers and application developers, we think of like the the code monkeys, right? Like the geeks are just like sitting and there's a very analytical side, but a lot of the programmers and and web dev guys that I know are some of the most creative people, like, you know, they're leaders and they want to build stuff and things like that. So it's not just like slicing code, but actually seeing like possibilities with, with technology and building them, which you know, Dan knows this cause I've told him this in the past. Like I'm incredibly envious of him most of the time because he can see something and build it. I can only see it and, 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 you know, talk to him about building it. Well, you know, and I think that that's a
1: kind of a great way of going into what we're, what we're going to talk about today, you know, in the sense that uh, I think programs like ours in uh, all the education that's out there is making software development, a lot more accessible uh, in a lot more um, basically minimizing the barrier to entry for someone creative like yourself to go and learn these skills. And I, I think that there is sort of a, a stigma or, or, or a cultural stereotype of what a typical software engineer is all about and who that person is. And uh, they're probably male, they have a pocket protector and they wear thick room glasses. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's totally not the the case. And, and that's what's so wonderful about the bootcamp space and uh, all the education that's happening around software engineering is, we're really breaking a lot of those stereotypes and showing people that, Hey, you know, this is for you too. You can do this. You can totally nail this.
0: It's interesting. As you was thinking about that, I was thinking about, you know, Bill Gates versus Steve jobs, right. And Bill Gates definitely has the look of the programmer. He has sort of that, you know, thing going on now, granted, he's wicked rich and he's actually like a really compassionate guy, but uh, like that's when we think programmer, we try to think more, Bill or we usually think more bill than we do Steve, right? Um, mm-hmm. and there's no reason it has to be that way, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. And and that's, what's exciting too, is, is now that there's this education out there, um, those that are graphic designers or artistic can now learn to code those that uh, are entrepreneurs or CEOs, they can go in and, and learn these skills too. You don't have to, um, live, um, and die by the computer in front of a monitor to create something meaningful uh that people can use and, and work with and and that's what makes uh internet in the in the business of internet
0: uh so impactful and, and so rewarding yeah see the cat overlords know that about humans and that's why they set it up that way they're like how are we going to get these humans to service even more That's all we need is more, more service to the cats. Exactly. I mean, look at the internet, seriously. Um, So you get Launchware going, which is a software and application development um, company. Um, And it's going along just fine. Like you can do a lot of that because apps need to be built. Software needs to be coded, so on and so forth. But then you do this crazy thing of jumping from Launchware to Launch Academy. So Launch Academy is actually a academy. It's a training school for programmers. Um, Of your training school for people who want to be programmers, to be more accurate, probably. Um, Why? Why make that jump? Because you could be just fine, man. Like, you could just be hanging out in in Launchware doing your thing and not in the boot camp space, which, for people who don't know, is actually pretty competitive, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's certainly heating up. Um, you know, I think I think for me when we were running the consultancy and we were doing our thing It was very rewarding. I mean, we were building uh, Early-stage software for companies that were either seeking angel or venture uh, funding and I really enjoyed getting in a room with passionate entrepreneurs and, and and just creating something out of nothing, you know but what really sort of started resonating with me and and You know, through sort of the the model of my uncle was all right. Well, how am I going to grow this consultancy? What what am I going to do with this consultancy to make it have an impact on the world and an impact on other humans? And you know, sure, I could have grown launch where to be, you know, this mega consultancy with, you know, 40 employees and, uh, you know, a bunch of partners drumming up the business and things like that. And, but, you know, it, just at the end of the day, it, it wasn't something that I felt called to do. It wasn't something that I felt like we could differentiate on. It wasn't something that, um, I felt like I would, I would get up and be excited about, uh, five to 10 years down the line. So what did emerge, uh, as part of building the consultancy was this desire to help other people level up and help people build software, uh, the way I like to build software and sort of spread the gospel of, uh, the way in which we think that software should be built. So, you know, we started doing a lot of training. Uh, we even did a lot of internal training. I brought on, you know, three or so apprentices and leveled them up. And, and I just found that that really, uh, filled a lot and checked off a lot of boxes for me. So it was great to sort of, um, think about how I could do that in a, in a, in a permanent lasting and enduring sort of, uh, situation like, like Launch Academy.
0: Let's talk about that identity shift because that's an identity shift, not only entrepreneurial side, right? You're still an entrepreneur, but it's really a shift from being a programmer to being a teacher, right? How was that transition for you?
1: For me, it was surprisingly nat- natural. I think the, the challenge that uh, I had was uh, I had a team that I had to bring through that transition. Um, and my my business partner was wonderful in, in helping uh, with that. But you know, we had a team of developers that we had to be like, all right, now you're teachers, now you're instructors. Um, and, you know, I, I think for me, that was the bigger, bigger challenge was how to lead the team, uh, through that change and get people excited about, uh, instruction. And ultimately what it came down to, it was like this, this mechanism of paying it forward. Right. So the, um, staff that we brought on at Launch Academy initially, uh, the vast majority of them were uh, apprentices that I had trained at Launchware. So it's just this wonderful way of kind of starting to formalize this this relationship of, of building skills and then teaching it to others. And that's really um, the foundation at which Launch Academy is built upon. So you know, for me, uh, I'm always uh, used to being in a room, uh, speaking with entrepreneurs or speaking um, at a presentation or uh, at a conference or something like that. So um, teaching about something that I was already very passionate about felt amazingly natural uh, and felt, felt really wonderful. And I think our modality of education really allows us to Uh, think like software engineers. So our program runs every 10 weeks. So um, like software, we can kind of uh, change things in, in release new versions of our education every quarter. Uh, We call it agile education. And, and I think if, if we weren't doing that, I would feel like we're a little stuck or we're a little stagnant. Uh, But it's, it's this agile education that, that makes it feel like you're you're developing a curriculum you're de- uh, iteratively uh, in moving through and improving it. Every time we improve it by like, I'd say 25, 30% every single time we run it. That's, that's so cool and rewarding.
0: You mean you're not using the same syllabus for like 10 years? <laughs> well I, that's why we
1: exist right is we're able to uh, align our uh curriculum and our outcomes with what matters in today's software teams um, and you know I don't think we would uh we would have a business if we weren't staying true to those ideals and uh keeping an eye on uh, what is changing in the technology ecosystem
0: yeah I read a um an interesting Sir, or interesting report in 2009, I believe it was, but it basically said that um, the skills that computer science engineers would learn as a freshman are already out of date by the time they would be juniors.
1: Yeah, yeah, that
0: was that was in 2009, right? <laughs> uh, is it still that fast or faster? Uh, I would say it's probably
1: moving a little faster. In in what we're seeing is it's not just about the accelerated pace by which things change it's the uh vast array of different disciplines and options uh by which a software engineer can decide to go you know so you could be a mobile developer and develop apps or you could be a web developer and focus on building web applications you can be a hardware programmer uh in working with the internet of things you know there's there's so many different sort of slants on software engineering now that honestly there's there's just such a universe of learning that you can never learn at all even if you try.
0: Yeah. And even with growth hacking coming along, that is to do it well, you've got to have it a little bit of programming savvy. Even if you're just tying, you know, two APIs together, you're just tying two different, like you wouldn't call it programming, but from my side, it's like, I've got to get Zapier to do these three things and I've got to integrate these two different software programs and things like that. Right. Which as, as, Software, um, development becomes more modular that way. A lot of times it's tying Google's API with this other API. So the similar skills basis, but it's just programming light, but you're absolutely right. You got, you know, people that go all sorts of different directions. And, um, I'm still surprised because, or not surprised. I still remember that sometimes I'm talking to a designer and they're purely a graphic designer But anymore when I'm talking to designers, I'm thinking of like that sort of unicorn web dev designer that, you know, just is, I need my web page to do this. And they're like, okay, I'll go make it happen. And so even the disruption that's happening in the technology space is even bleeding into other fields that used to be like not have those skill sets, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, what's really neat to see too, is sort of the, the, uh, the disciplines that are in close periphery to software engineering. You hit, you nailed to uh, a marketing slash growth ha- hacker kind of person and graphic designer. And we're, we're also seeing it in project management too. Um, knowing enough HTML, CSS, even a little JavaScript to be dangerous can really make uh, you so much more effective, uh, in those disciplines as well. Um, as well as just general entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah. I'm at that point of knowing it enough to be dangerous, but not useful. Um, and so that's a whole nother conversation for another day though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, it's good that you're, it's good that you're working towards that. That's the, you know, if you can, if you can, uh, if you can do a little HTML and CSS, you're on
0: your way. Well, I'm about to say who says I'm working towards getting better at it. I just make bigger messes. I mean, anyways, um, let's roll back though. I mean, because we're talking about the pace of change in technology. We're talking about like your background and Honestly, who are you to start a lot like launch Academy? Like, you know, you taught a few apprentices. Um, last I checked, you don't have like an MS in computer science. Like you haven't gone sort of that route. So it's like, who are you, Dan, to start launch Academy?
1: You know, and, and that's the way I felt when, uh, we were starting launch Academy, you know? So, uh, in, in our education and, um, in everything that we do, we often talk about this idea of imposter syndrome, right? This, this feeling like you're tricking everyone. I mean, even when I heard from Shannon, um, about being on the show is like, Charlie wants to talk to me. Oh man, everyone's going to figure out what an imposter I am. Right. Uh, this idea that, um, you are not worthy or you're not enough, you know, uh, comes up again and again and again. And, you know, I think, uh, as it pertains to starting launch Academy, it was exactly that. Like I don't have the credentials, right. There's all those kinds of head trash that, uh, especially entrepreneurs, but in general overachievers have to deal with at times. And, um, you know, in every step of the way, uh, I was I was battling those negative thoughts and that perspective. And at the end of the day, I had to kind of go back to um, what was working. And 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 I saw uh, what wonderful engineers some of our apprentices were becoming, and some of the people that I had touched in the community, um, you know, becoming great engineers. You know, and and you have to always kind of go back to those fundamentals uh and and have faith and perspective that um you are doing good work you you are um you are delivering what you say you're going to do and and as an entrepreneur you know it's you're always kind of focused on uh the challenges and the struggle you know instead of how far you've come
0: yeah well i mean <laughs> Those stories are so, those imposter syndrome things are so prevalent when you're starting something and whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a leader, whether you're just, you see something in your organization needs to be fixed. There's always that question of who the hell are you to do that? Right. And that's the head trash. And I mean, in your case, like you weren't one of those New York times, like featured agencies, like, you know, all those different things that you think you have to have, right. Um, to actually transform and make a difference. Right. And, um, so just give me a few of the stories just so people can hear I mean, cause we talk generally like, Oh, I had the imposter syndrome, but really what, what stung when you heard yourself saying it or when, when you thought someone else was, was projecting it at you?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it started as early as graduating college. Right. So I, I thought, um, Oh, if, if I'm going to start a business, I'm going to be a professional CEO. Uh, then that means I I've got to have an MBA. You know, I've got to go to Harvard, uh, HBS, and I've got to have an MBA and I'll be in the in club then. And then I'll know everything I need to know about running a business. Um, And what was great was I went and I worked for a startup uh, here in Boston and I was fortunate to work uh, with some wonderful folks. But what became very clear to me was they're just people. They're, they're just like you or, or I, um, and they're, they're grinding it out and they're trying to make it work and they're leveraging the the foundations of, of what they know. And they're working towards their strengths, you know, and they're, they're building something of consequence, you know? Um, and that's, that's, um, was a, was a big pivotal moment for me of just realizing that these folks are accessible. They're, they're, they're not like a, a pedigreed in club. Uh, they're folks that are, are just like you and I. And then I think uh when I was starting Launch Academy with my business partner, Evan Charles, you know, it was uh you know, Evan, Evan came from a, a Bain background, you know, he was like a super business, like awesome guy, you know, and he had this wonderful sort of background and I started comparing myself to him. You know, I started saying, Oh, well, you know, I don't have that experience. I don't have this experience, you know? And um, I, we see that in the course all the time, this, this comparison. Um, and everybody has a different journey. Everybody has a, a different uh, way of, of finding their authentic self they're who they are you know and uh i had to just stop comparing myself you know and and sort of shut down that that side of the brain and just realize that we complement each other very well you know um so those are just two really small anecdotes of sort of just overcoming that that imposter syndrome that feeling like you're not worthy you know it really comes down to that that central idea that you're not good enough
0: You're not good enough, indeed. I mean, compare and despair is so rampant. I think Pam talks about that in her body of work, or she talks about it a lot, Pam Slam, episode, early episode. (laughs) We'll link to it in the show notes. And um, so here's the thing: none of us have just a natural habit of like showing all of our warts to the world and saying like, here are all the ways I'm super terrible. Right. Um, here's what my dirty underwear looks like. How about that? Like nobody really does that. Um, and yet when we look at other people, we see everything that like they want us to see and project and things like that, unless you've been paying attention for a long time and you can start to see, you know, the warts and all right. Um, And we forget that sometimes when we go and compare and despair is because like they've got their own stuff too, right? They've got their own behind the scenes story. And especially if they're public figures and they're successful, it becomes along the lines of like you show your hits and you drop your duds. That's really all it is. And so if you ever look at somebody else's persona, you're probably seeing their hits. You're not seeing their duds.
1: And that's so true with, with social media, uh, and, and sort of, uh, Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, especially when it comes to thought leadership, um, and even market differentiation, right? You're, you're seeing, um, the, the surface area of, uh, everyone's work and what they do. Um, and you know, you, the, the person that's most intimately familiar with all your shortcomings and um, all of the things that are plaguing you as an entrepreneur and as, as a business, you know, you have that context for your own business. But when you're looking at uh, your competitors and people that um, you admire, you see just the surface area, you know, you don't see the internals. Um, and that can definitely contribute to feeling like you're, you're not enough.
0: Yeah. And you're seeing the internals. The other things that you're seeing is the basically that either their version of success or more likely society's versions of success. And then if you're comparing their version of success and society's version of success, and it's not in alignment with your own version, then you get all sorts of weird. Cause you don't even want what they have really but you don't want to be different because that's what it means to be successful. You don't want to be this weirdo over there doing your own thing, starting your own launch Academy rather than growing up your super consultancy. Like it's just all that head trash and imposter stuff comes up, you know? And and that's what's so
1: interesting is that the ironic thing about imposter syndrome is it actually is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? In that, um, if you don't feel like you're measuring up to the other people in the space and you start to say things that, um, are not authentic to who you are. Um and you start to second guess yourself and you start to become underconfident. Um, you know, just just this uh this last cohort when we launched uh our 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 fall cohort, um, you know, uh I got up in front of this the class and it's a different experience for me um this this go around in that I'm not in the day to day. So it's a little uncomfortable for me because I'm used to like giving my stump speech and being very rah-rah and excited. And um, I, I felt like an outsider. I felt like an imposter. So I delivered this speech that was just totally not me, you know? And it was a self-fulfilling prophecy of, of if I feel like an imposter, I'm going to do things and act in a way that is totally contradictory to my authentic self.
0: Did you know as you were giving that speech that you were out of like your integrity zone?
1: Oh man, it was, it was brutal. It was like, I need to rip this bandaid off as quickly as possible. Like somebody get the vaudeville hook. This is terrible. Just, I, you, you kind of know right when you start, you know, uh, of like, whose voice is this? This isn't, this isn't me. This isn't speaking from my soul and, and who I am, you know? And, uh, and, and when those uh, triggers happen, it's like, all right, we're going to wrap this up very, very quickly um, and make sure that this is a
0: real short and succinct uh, little speech. If I'm going to be terrible, I'm going to be short. That's the thing, right? If I'm, if I'm rocking it, I'll stay on the stage. But sometimes you don't know whether you're rocking it. So you, it, you mentioned an interesting trigger there, though, right? Because it was that feeling like you were an outsider. And if we were to go one layer deeper, like what was the fear there? The fear was a couple
1: things, right? So um, one thing that I'm working on as a leader and as a manager is to get out of the way. You know, um, and for me, uh, there's this uh, self-conscious kind of perspective of it's not about me. It's not, it's not, uh, me, uh, that's going to be with these students on the day-to-day basis. Um, you know, it's, it's about, uh, the team and building the team up and making them look like, uh, wonderful, inspiring figures. So, you know, there's, there's that sense of, um, not wanting to overdo it, um, and then I think, too, there's this perspective of, um, well, I won't be working with these folks on a day-to-day basis, so I'm kind of just dropping in on them, you know, uh, and, and uh, you know, I've, I've never been that kind of um Person to our students, so that's a new and uh, kind of uncomfortable uh, perspective to be on. So, so these are the th- this is the story that I'm telling myself as I'm walking up and, and giving this uh, little presentation. Is you know, oh, I, I've got to downplay who I am so that I can shine a light on my team, and I've got to downplay who I am because I'm I'm not really going to be on the center stage for the group this time around. So. You know, right away, if, if you've got that those negative thoughts and all that cognitive distortion happening in your head, how are you going to deliver uh, and make an impactful message at that point? You know, you are just, you're so off your game. You've, you've created an imposter in your own head.
0: Yeah, you've created an imposter and you've become it. That's the thing. You've become it. And then you're sitting there because to deliver a good speech in front of people like that, it's like there's this thing that's hard to talk about it, but it's the connection between you as a speaker and the audience. And you've got to be really hyper-connected. And you can tell when a speaker is really hyper-connected with the audience because you see the heads nod and you see, you know, the occasional tear or the laughter or like people leaning forward. But if you're wearing your own imposter, you know, like you're not connected with yourself, so you can't be connected with your audience.
1: Right, right, yeah. And, and you know, for me, if my internal energy is uh, is guarded or or defensive or, or just feeling like I, there's a wall between me and the, in the group, how how are you really going to make a connection? How are you going to really inspire anyone? um, If you can't get yourself to that place and, and get yourself to a a place of acceptance of who you are and who you want to be.
0: Okay. So by the bullets, like you didn't tell us the substance of what you talked about, but on that particular occasion so that we can see the Delta here doing it again, what would you do now? I would just shed
1: all of that, right? Um, so what's wonderful about uh, knowing that this idea of imposter syndrome exists is you can label it. You can just say, oh, that's just the story in my head. That's um, that's just a negative thought. That's just a cognitive distortion, right? There's a wonderful book uh, by a guy named Dr. Burns. It's the Feeling Good Handbook. And when we were starting launch, I started thinking about like how to make people feel like they can ex- access this kind of inf- information and in this education. And, you know, it's basically you write down these terrible kind of thoughts that we all have, right? And you start to uh, to, to refute those negative thoughts um, and you label them. So there's things like all or nothing thinking or um, uh, not trusting in the benevolence of others. There's all kinds of labels that you can apply to these negative thoughts that, that just pop into your head. I think if I had just had that moment of mindfulness and said, that's just the story, and uh, I, I am who I am, and, and I accept who I am, and I, I, I can be uh, who I wanna be in front of this group. There's a reason they're all here, and I'm a part of that reason, you know? Um, it was the, the absence of that, uh, that sort of mindfulness at the beginning, that's probably what I would do differently.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Someone asked me recently what I, what I do when I'm feeling the limiting beliefs and things like that. And what I told them was, I try to think about what my pack would tell me. If, you know, what would Jonathan tell me? What would Pam? What would Dan? What would my team tell me? What would they think about that situation? And normally they think, you know, you're capable, you're resilient, you're adaptable, and that you're going to figure it out, right? That's inevitably what they would think. They're likely more true, like they are closer to the truth than this feeling is, than whatever I'm feeling right now. Historically, they've got the track record, right? Um, historically, like how about I trust their story more than I trust this one that's not helping me and pretend that that story is true and see what happens. And believe it or not, I turn out to be competent and adaptable and resilient and figure, able to figure things out, right? And so sometimes it's just absolutely understanding that that's just a story. And it can work on you, or you can work on it. And which is it going to be? You know, right. And and another
1: question is like, where does that story come from? Right. So uh, there's a wonderful book I'm reading right now. Actually, I think uh, as a result of the podcast, uh, it's called "Emotional Obesity." Uh, I'm really by Laura Co. Yeah, yeah, really great. And um, she talks about this idea of your authentic voice. Uh, and your voice that um, that is driven by these fears, this fear of, it, usually it stems from two places, either uh, uh, feeling like you'll never be loved, or you're not lovable, um, or you're not good enough, right? So th- these imposter voices, um, as she calls them, uh, not to be confused with imposter syndrome, they're kind of a little different, but um, th- these imposter voices are... They sound like you, and they they feel like you, but they're they're not really who you are and who you were born to be um and It can really be hard at times to have that mindfulness and just take a minute and breathe and say, ah, that's just a story that's coming from the imposter um you know that's that's uh that's what's been really eye opening for me so far reading that book,
0: yeah. One last thing on this, because we love riffing about this, apparently. Whenever you think they are going to think that, they like that's what everybody's going to think. Try to find at least three people who you know are going to think that. Like, name who's going to say that. And when you do that exercise, you realize that you can't, right? There's no they there. Right. Um, and so when there's no they there, it's like you recognize that, again, it's one of these stories, and you can go through all of that, but it's like, if you could name, like, oh, Dan is going to think that I'm a cheat. And then I'm stupid. Right. Um, and then I'm faking it. And then Angela is going to like, and you really believe that then you probably have a problem on your hands, but that almost never happens.
1: You know? Right. Right. Yeah. There's this anonymous mob that you're going <laughs> to yeah. rabble, rabble, rabble you out of the building, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's just not, that not the case. That's, that's a really good strategy is just put, put
0: some names on it. Uh, put some names on it. Who's out there with the pitchfork, you know? <laughs> If no one's holding the pitch for it, guess what? You are.
1: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And, and, you know, that's what's great about core values, too. Uh, You know, so core values in our company are are a big deal. And we can always sort of go back to those core values. And as long as what we're doing uh, on a day-to-day basis as individuals, we can go back to those core values and say, you know, are these in line with with who we are and what we want to do as a company?
0: So throughout your course, like you've learned a lot about sort of the imposter syndrome. Like, is this a, we're going to have the module on the imposter syndrome or does this kind of come up in the off? Like, how does, how do you present this to people so that they know about it? I mean, especially because I'm talking to ostensibly, I'm going to put air quotes, a programmer, right. And all this touchy feely, like mindset and squishy stuff. Like I'm here to slice code, man. (laughs) So how does that slide into the curriculum?
1: So it's, it's, on day one, the first thing that we tried to uh, cover and address is this idea of uh, imposter syndrome. And really what our modality of learning and what accelerated learning necessitates in general um, is for the student to be in a place of vulnerability, right? So um, ironically, like I think students come in, uh, feeling very uncertain, uh, and very uncomfortable. It's a new group. Um, it's a new discipline. There's a lot of pressure riding on their success. You know, so what we try to do is it's all about creating a safe place. It's all about creating a safe learning environment. Um, and that can really only happen with a strict, no assholes policy, right? So, um, there is a significant difference between having that internal struggle of imposter syndrome and having people in the community and in the place where you're supposed to be vulnerable and supposed to be learning, you know, that is, um, a totally different situation. That's an external problem rather than an internal problem. So we're very, very strict. Everybody signs a cultural agreement, uh, and is totally on board with this, this no assholes policy. So that's like super, super important. And then, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, influencing in, in lauding, uh, effort, uh, in lauding vulnerability, you know, in, in influencing behavior by, by really shining a light on the people that are asking those tough questions and are raising their hands and saying, I don't get this. Right. Um, it's, it's a very uncomfortable and, um, uh, contradictory to human nature kind of thing to do. And when you have, um, that behavior very early on, our staff just jumps right on it. Right. And so that was awesome. And just make sure that everybody, uh, in the, in the, in the learning experience really understands that that's something that we celebrate at learn at launch Academy. Um, so there's this idea of uh, the zone of proximal development, right? And there's the stuff that you can kind of do on your own, uh, and you can, you can read, and you can do a tutorial, and you can follow along step by step, but where the real magic happens, where the real learning happens is a step beyond that, and that's the zone of proximal development, and, and that's the stuff that you can only access with assistance, with a help, um, and we, we really encourage our students to grow in that area. And the only way they can do that is if they reach out and they uh, they engage the instructional staff, they engage each other, right? Um, and that can only happen in a, in a safe environment that lauds this this sense of vulnerability. Yeah,
0: you know, the zone of proximal development, is that based upon, not based upon, it, it's similar to uh, Mihaly Um thing about flow where flow is found where you have a venn diagram where you have stuff that's within your reach basically stuff that's within your competency you know, stuff that's outside of your competency and at the edges of where those overlap is where you find flow and where you find peak performance right so we're saying largely the same thing right Yep. Yeah. Totally.
1: Essentially, that's that's what we really try to espouse is is the struggle is where the learning happens. If you're not struggling, then you're not learning uh, at the pace and at the um, the velocity at which you uh, really really can.
0: I was reading about um, I was reading Houston Smith's The World's Religions the other night, and they we're talking about Zen Coens. This is really random for everybody, but this is how it rolls, anyways, right? And it would not be a session with Charlie without a rant. <laughs> without a, it's not a rant. It's just random. Um, <laughs> and it, and, uh, or it's today Rant Day. No, it's it's Thursday. Rant Day is two. Tr- <laughs> tangential Thursday tangential Thursday there we go I um, think about Zen koans like the like you know what is the sound of one hand clapping right um, which seems completely nonsensical to a Western brain is really just um, the Zen tradition of trying to break against that constraint of rational thinking and things like that right and so it's 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 basically the same point where there's that tension where's that where there's that struggle is where development and mindfulness happens, right? That's where you can transcend and really grasp the full powers of the mind by racking against the walls of the limitations of thinking, you know.
1: And and that's what's so fascinating for me as a, as, a, as somebody that's fallen in love with education and in leadership is is the the advancement, um, the growth really only happens in discomfort. It, it, really I, I mean that's that's if you want to grow and you want to develop as an individual you have to get uncomfortable like you have to be okay with that um, and it's so counterintuitive to who we are as as human beings and I think that that's why a lot of learning happen uh, a lot of learning kind of terminates after you come out of college you know
0: well and that and you stop reading <laughs> you know uh, the average American reads what one book a year it's a recent report one book a year yeah I mean I know people are busy. Anyways, I want that's the rant. Okay, so it's not Tuesday. I'm going to drive forward. <laughs> All right, so you mentioned, you know, part of the backdrop here is you've recently had um had a daughter, right? And you you are growing Launch Academy, um, had a daughter. So that's introducing some new changes in your own development right now, right? Both as a father but also you're not all in like launch Academy in the same way you were before, just, you know, because of the, the priorities that you're, but you're, you're spinning around fatherhood, um, which is fantastic. I want to say fantastic because that's the beauty of the world that we live in is that we can make choices differently than we could 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, so we've got that going on, but really what's, what's your biggest challenge right now that, you know, you're like, ah, I got to, (laughs) That's the nut I'm trying to crack right now
1: honestly it's it's this negative thoughts to this head trash this comparison thing you know so even as a parent as a new dad um my my little girl ella rose she you know shannon and i my wife are are constantly questioning like is this normal she's only sleeping like six or eight hours is that okay like in and, and should we call the doctor uh or she maybe she's not eating enough you know and and i think that there's this this human desire to like want to compare, uh, even, even your children to other children, like, is it normal? Is, is, is everything that's happening, is it within acceptable bounds, you know? Um, and I just, I find that really interesting, you know, and instead of just mindfully sort of accepting uh, accepting the, the, the present moment, um, in the, in the beauty of, of this new life and the beauty of, um, where we are as a business, you know, uh, there's, there's a focus on, you know, are we, are we keeping up? Are we, are we doing everything that we need to be doing? Um, you know, I think for me as, as, as a, as a business owner and as a business leader, now it's, um, it's not sweating those things right and having faith in the team and um faith uh in my wife uh to for us to find solutions and for us to just continue doing what we do and continue to be um loving and compassionate in everything that we do and, and that should be enough you know so uh for me the the challenge has been uh how to come to peace with that and how to be okay with where we are I think um, that's where having a coach or having a mentor is amazingly valuable. Uh, having a peer group—you know, I'm a, a member of entrepreneurs' organization and Young Entrepreneurs Club—and um, just knowing that there are other people going through these struggles with you, much like our students at Launch Academy know that um, these are the things that are going to help you sort of overcome and surmount this feeling of like comparison and imposter syndrome that is just so rampant in everybody's brains.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, you got... The growth of Launch Academy and the growth of Ella Rose, you've got an interesting three to four periods on your, uh, three to four years on your hands. <laughs>
1: interesting to say the least. It's, it's been a, a wild ride. Um, you know, I think uh, there are definitely some uh, challenges in sort of achieving that balance. And I, I kind of hate the term balance because let's be honest, balance is subjective and is, is bullshit basically. Right. So what is it that, um, that sort of drives you and, and how do you find, um, the dynamic where you feel like you're doing what you're called to do professionally, but you're still, uh, living this fulfilled in, in meaningful personal life. Um, so it's, it's about finding the space, uh, for both, um, in a, in a sensible way. Um, not like, setting a ratio of how your business life is going to be in relation to your personal life. It's, it's all a, a mishmash together, you know, and you've got to find a way to, um, to make the, the, the distinctions of, of what matters in each area and and find a way for them to, to gel together and be, uh, fulfilling for you. And I think everyone has a, a different sort of, um, perspective on on what that actually is no one can answer that for you
0: but yourself yeah if you had to go back and well if you were to look over the course of your career and think of one skill set mindset or practice that you wish you would have started earlier what would that be and why
1: uh patience and trust in others Uh, so, you know, one thing that I've learned this last year with Launch Academy is we've had so many great people, uh, that have come through our program, both as students, um, but more so as staff. And, uh, for me, man, I, I am, uh, very oriented in the details and, uh, I get sucked into the details quite a bit. And, um, when you realize that you're bringing people on that live the core values of your company, um, and, and really just connect with who you are because they want to, they want to come and work in an organization that, that, that you've kind of built, uh, with, with help, you know, and, and just accepting that they're going to do smart things and no one comes to work and says, nah, I think I'm just going to, uh, dismantle everything that uh, was done yesterday. Right. So, just trusting and believing in in the people that you put um, in these positions um, to do what they were called to do, uh, and and that's the beauty of hiring based on core values and cultural fit is is knowing that they're going to do the right thing and they're gonna they're gonna care the same way that you care. And if you can surrender to that and accept that, well, that's going to make for a, a much more meaningful work experience for them. But it's also going to allow you to do more. Uh, better for for the folks that you serve
0: why is that piece so hard for you
1: because man like I love the code I love the detail I love uh, I love the light bulb moments you know I love um, being on the floor and helping students uh, you know fix their problems or even deal with like emotional struggle or you know and I love being in that detail I love the details um, because it's it's tangible to me and it and it and it feels like I'm having an impact, you know? So, um, I find myself getting sucked in in that way. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that I'm working on as, as an entrepreneur and as a leader.
0: I could totally sense that. <laughs> righty. So if people only remember one thing about you from this episode, um, you and your body of work, what would that one thing be? If you,
1: if you can dream it, you can achieve it. I, I Really, um, from uh, us starting uh, Launchware and Launch Academy, um, and you know, if you think about our students and our staff, right, um, everyone has started from nothing, right? Uh, and you just have to take that one small step, and you just have to uh, push that, that, that envelope just a little bit further and just get started. Um, you know that—that that for me has been the—the the lesson that I've learned uh, over these last fifteen or so years is um, you really just need to uh, be obstinate in your focus uh, and take that step, uh, and then there's another step, and you just keep being persistent and keep getting after it, um, and I, I just think you can see the proof. Um, in everything that, that Launch Academy is today, but, but more so uh, in our students. You know, they, they, they took that one risk and now 200 uh, plus students have, have jobs in the Boston area and beyond, you know, and um, what an inspiring uh, body of, of uh, inspiring uh, motivated uh, individuals to sort of show that um, if you set your mind to something, you can accomplish it.
0: I just want to give you a quick high five because you mentioned 200 students, which is great, right? Absolutely great. I want to zoom it up. That's 200 jobs that you've helped create of people doing work that they love. And I'm, I'm so proud of and, and appreciative of you doing that, Dan. It's, you know, it's,
1: it's, Honestly, I feel uh, like it, I'm finally in my calling. I'm finally doing uh, meaningful, impactful work. And um, man, to, to see these people doing wonderful things in these organizations, um, becoming team leads now uh, in regularly building uh, software that that in, in its own right is changing lives. You know, that's just, a, I, I can't put how rewarding that is in words.
0: Yeah, rock the ripple, All Alrighty, so we're gonna, we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up there. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: I had a great time. Thanks for
0: having me. Okay, Creative Giants. So you heard it from Dan. If you can dream it, you can achieve it. What are you sitting there dreaming about? Remember, you've got it. You've got what it takes. Get after it, take that next step, and see what emerges. Until the next time,